Good to see you here for the summer. Most of the students have already uh, left, except for those who are graduating, a few others who are sticking around for the summer. We're glad that you're still here with us. Typically in our church, we preach through books of the Bible. We just start at the beginning and go right through to the end, and then we just move on to the next. We go Old Testament, New Testament, Old, New, Old, New. Right now, we've been doing something a little different. Uh, We've been in the middle of a six-week pilot series on the book of Proverbs. I've been trying to get a handle on this book before I preach through it in the fall. We've been testing out some different passages to understand the book of Proverbs. And I just want to pause and and just say a, a special thanks to a, a group of people within our church, maybe I mentioned this the first week, but there's a, there's a, pi- there's a, a pilot focus group that meets after each service um, to 10 people, uh, plus a moderator that gives me helpful feedback or critiques and helps me think through different ways that we can better preach and present Proverbs. It's part of, uh, I'm finishing up a degree and this is part of it, and it's been very helpful having their insights and critiques and and help me shape the next week's sermon. So I've been very, I'm very thankful for you guys. The emphasis as we've been going through Proverbs is preaching Christ in Proverbs. Now, I know if you study Proverbs, you say, okay, I've never seen Jesus in Proverbs. Well, what we mean by that is we need to understand the book of Proverbs as Christians. We interpret it and apply it as Christians. And so far, we've looked at chapter 2 on the transcendence of wisdom and chapter 31 on the embodiment of wisdom chapter 3 on the incentives of wisdom, chapter 12 on wisdom in our speech. Last week was chapter 16 on wisdom in making future plans. And today it's going to be wisdom in relation to money. And I'm just going to tell you straight up from the get-go here, our emphasis this morning is going to be more on teaching, uh, a broad exposure to what the book of Proverbs has to say about riches and poverty, and in the fall, we're going to get uh, into a lot more specifics. That basically means that this is not going to be a sermon on managing your money. This is not going to be a sermon on tips and tricks on managing your money, perhaps some other time. Maybe we'll get into the details in the fall. And in fact, today is probably going to raise more questions for you on what to do with wealth and money. But what I want to do, and my point of going through what we're going to go through today, is to get at your heart's relationship with money. Where is your heart at with regard to wealth and money? And in order to see that, we're going to look at chapter 30. So go ahead and turn to chapter 30 in the book of Proverbs, chapter 30. Now, as I stated before, that chapters 1 through 9 are the introduction to the one-line Proverbs that you're most familiar with that dominate from chapter 10 to 31. And most of these one-line Proverbs are standalone uh, Proverbs with no connection to the surrounding verses, but occasionally a verse or two or three will be held together in a, a smaller unit. And today we're going to look at a smaller unit on poverty and, ri- and riches, and then we're going to branch out all over Proverbs and look at several similar verses. In chapter 30, we have the words of Agur. Now, remember I told you that most of the Proverbs were written by King Solomon, but occasionally we will have a different author. And in this case, it's Agur. We do not know who he is, but we have this description of him in verse 1. Look at chapter 30, verse 1. It says, The words of Agur, son of Jacob, the oracle. 
So what follows is a very important oracle, which means it's a very important revelation or burden that, that Augur had. And the part of this uh, revelation that was going to concern us this morning is verses 7 through 9. Now, verses 7 through 9 are the only prayer in the book of Proverbs. There's no other prayers in the book of Proverbs except for this one right here. So it's very important for us to hone in and see what this prayer has to say concerning poverty and riches. So I'll, I'll just read it to you. Look at verse 7. Two things I ask of you, he's talking to the Lord. Deny them not to me before I die. Remove far from me falsehood and lying. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with the food that is needful for me, lest I be full and deny you and say, Who is the Lord? Or lest I be poor and steal and profane the name of my God. It's a prayer request. And he's asking for two things that's summarizing his desires. If you look at verse 7, he says, Two things I ask you, deny them not to me before I die. It's not that he's immediately going to die, but this is the way that he wants to live while he is still alive on this earth. Now, we're going to save the first part of his prayer request for another time sometime in the fall or the spring where we're talking about his lips. He doesn't want to be a liar. He doesn't want to be one who deceives. And we're going to focus in on the second prayer request in verse 8 where he says, Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with the food that is needful for me. Now, in order to get organized this morning, I'm going to lay things out to you in in, in a three-part structure of a sliding scale. I think you can handle that. It's going to look like this. On this end of the scale, we have riches. And on the other end of the scale, we have poverty. And in the middle, we're, we're going to have something that we're going to call, that it's mo- it's, 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 this has been thrown out before. This is going to be called, philosophically, if you, if you will, the golden mean. In between the two extremes of riches and poverty, we have the golden mean of his prayer, and it is a request for simple provision in life. And as he is praying this golden mean. He's he's crying out to God to protect him from the extremes of poverty and to protect him from the extremes of riches. And he wants in this middle, this golden mean of simple provision. And and I'm just wondering, as you hear that, does it remind you of anybody else's prayer in the Bible? Does Does it, you hear that kind of the echo of someone else's prayer? Remember the Lord Jesus when he taught his disciples to pray in the Lord's Prayer, he said in Matthew 6, 11, Give us this day our daily bread. Sounds familiar, huh? The auger is praying something very similar. Give us this day our daily bread. Now, in order to get you thinking along these lines, I'm going to start by telling you a popular parable. I'm not much of a, of a parable teller, but I'm going to tell this parable. It's, it's well known. I'm sure some of you have heard it before, but I have reworked it to fit our context. So you really have to listen hard to parables to get them. And I'm just going to say it once. So here we go. This is a popular parable, all right? There was once a Kellogg Business School graduate. I know that some of you go to Kellogg or graduate from Kellogg, and so you're here this morning. Well, pretend like that was you. There's once this 
Kellogg Business School graduate who wanted to get some rest after graduation. He was cranking out the degree, and so he wanted to go to a small island and do some fishing. So he's on this small island, and he's doing some fishing, and while he's there, he notices a man in a small boat coming to shore with his boat full of fish. And so the man gets to shore, and out of his boat, he is selling his fish for cash to the locals and to tourists. And the the Kellogg guy is very intrigued. And he goes over to talk to this fisherman, and he discovers that it didn't take the fisherman very many hours to pull in this this large hull and and to sell these fish. And so being a a Kellogg guy, he's impressed by the the business nature of, of, of this man's fishing. And he asks the man, hey, why don't you just stay out longer and make more, get more fish, bring them to shore, and make more money. Why don't you just do that? And listen very carefully to what the man said. The man said, oh, no, I make enough to provide for my family. Besides, listen very carefully, I like the extra time to read, to play with my daughters, to teach the local kids to fish, to stroll in the village, and to play the guitar with my, my wife and friends. But the Kellogg guy didn't stop there. He, he said, man, you have loads of free time. And so he, he, he told the fisherman that he could expand his business and help him make so much money that he could buy a bigger boat. And the, and the fisherman's a little intrigued now, and he says, oh, really? And he says, yeah. The Kellogg guy says, look, I can set you up where you can catch so many fish that you can make so much money that you can have a whole fleet of boats that you can end up controlling both the product and the distribution of your fish. And the fisherman said, okay, go on. And then what? And the Kellogg guy says, man, you can move to the big city and you can end up running your own corporation. And the fisherman's like, whoa, well, how long will that take? And the Kellogg's guy's, well, with my help, I can get you there in about seven to ten years. And the guy is so intrigued now. He's like, that, that is amazing. Wow. And then he says, the fisherman says, and then what? And the Kellogg guy says, well, and then what we can do, we can form the company, go public, and sell shares. And once we sell shares, you'll be a multi-millionaire. And the fisherman says, and then what? Now, at that point, the Kellogg guy was very confused. He said, and then what? And he said, so he struggled to answer. And this is what the Kellogg guy said. He says, well, I guess you could retire and move to a small island and do some fishing. (laughs) And maybe you could play with your daughters, teach the local kids to fish, take a leisurely stroll through the village and play the guitar with your wife and friends. And then they both had a a great laugh, and that's the end of the parable. Are you tracking? Are you tracking? Now, the the fisherman, he he wants this, this simple life. He wants this golden mean. He doesn't want riches, and I guess he doesn't want poverty either because he is content with the simple life, the golden mean. But get this, get this. That's not Augur's story. 
Augur's story is different. He's not asking for the golden mean because he wants the simple life. Augur is asking for the golden mean because he knows how reckless he would be out here with riches and how reckless he would be with poverty. And so he's, he's crying out to the Lord. His prayer is very God-centered approach that he understands that if he gets riches or poverty, he may be tempted to turn away from the Lord. He knows his heart. And so he prays in verse 7. Look at it again. Lest I be full and deny you and say, who is the Lord? Or lest I be poor and steal and profane the name of my God. He's afraid if he gets riches, he's going to be arrogant and self-sufficient and say, who is the Lord? He's also afraid that if he's poor, that he may steal and profane the name of God. So his desire is that golden mean of simple vision because he wants God. It's not about money or poverty. He wants God. And if anything is going to distract from that, he wants to be kept from the extremes, have this golden mean because there he has God and he doesn't have the distractions. He knows his heart. And I'm just wondering, do you know your heart's relationship to money? When you get comfortable and have more than enough, do you find yourself kind of just slacking off in your spiritual life? Or when you find yourself lacking, maybe you don't have as much as you think you should have, do you find yourself not really trusting God, that you're wondering if he's going to come through? So this morning's not necessarily about managing your money and giving you tips and tricks, which we can talk about some other time, but where is your heart's relationship with money? Augur knows his heart. Do you know yours? And it seems like it may be a wise prayer to adopt this prayer here. So what we're going to do, this is going to be really cool, because I want to give you this broad exposure during this, this pilot time. Before we talk about the gold mean, what does the Bible, okay, what does Proverbs have to say about riches on this side of the scale? And what does Proverbs have to say about poverty on this side of the scale? So we're going to do a little, little broad overview before we look at the gold mean, because I want you to understand what the Bible has to say about money. So let's start with a few observations on riches. I'll give you three points. First, Wealth generally comes to those who work hard. Wealth generally comes to those who work hard. Now, there are exceptions. Maybe you're wealthy because you had a big inheritance, or maybe you are, are wealthy because you're a gangster. I mean, there may be some other ex- examples on how, how you could be wealthy, but generally it comes to those who work hard. So this is, this is, this is a gained inheritance, and I want to show you, if you're hard work, here we go. Look at Proverbs 12, 11. Whoever works his land will have plenty of bread, but he who follows worthless pursuits lacks sense. So in general, not all the time, but in general, if you work hard, you're going to have plenty of provision. It's, a, it's, a, it's an everyday experience. You know, it's the way we function in our society. If you contribute to society, in general, you're going to be rewarded. But some of you are going to work so hard, and the way things are going to work out in our society, is, and, and, but we can't always understand why, but some of you are going to cash in. You're going to get rich. Not all of you, not most of you, but some of you will get rich through your hard work. 
Proverbs 10.4 says, A slack hand causes poverty, but the hand of the diligent makes rich. Now, when I was studying this, I wondered, what does it mean, rich? And, and some would argue that it means, oh, it just means simple provision of crops so you can take care of your family. But Bruce Walkie is the commentator I've been really leaning heavily on through all this. He says, no, no, no. Rich is rich. It's, it means acquiring a great quantity or store of valuable possessions. So when we see, talk about riches, we're talking about really a lot of cashing in, like we would say. It's, so hard work is not a guarantee of riches, but at times, hard work can bring an abundance. I guess what we're going to hit on over and over again is that money and wealth are, are not bad things in and of themselves. When you see the Bible talk about wealth and riches and the things that God has made in his good creation, it is things that we can actually, there's a verse about this, actually in the New Testament about enjoying these things. But the Bible is also very clear, those who have wealth are to be generous. Brings us to the second point of observation under riches. Those with wealth should give generously. We already touched this on a bit when we studied Proverbs 3, but look at Proverbs 3, 9 and 10. I'll put it up. Proverbs 3, 9 and 10 says, Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all your produce. Then your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will be bursting with wine. Now, this is a giving money to the Lord in the temple. This is giving money to the poor. Now, check this out. The Bible is pretty consistent on this. This is not a health and wealth thing. This is not you give to the Lord, he gives back to you, and then you just spend it on yourself. Now, the Bible is, is very clear that we give to the Lord, and in general, he'll give back to us. And as he gives back to us, we don't go and buy a bins. We take that money and give back to him, and it keeps coming back to him, back and forth. Now, I, 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 there are many people who can testify to this. There was once this, this man who was called God's businessman. Maybe you've heard of him. His name is R.G. Letourneau. He was, he was a very successful businessman. He, and get this, he made earth-moving equipment. So if you've seen earth-moving equipment, he, was, he invented a lot behind all of that. Now, it was his goal as this very wealthy man, he tried to give away 90% of his income. He was really striving for that. And he has this classic quote. He was always quoted, but this, here's one of his classic ones. He says, I shovel out the money, and God shovels it back. But God has a bigger shovel. Once again, this is not a health and wealth thing. This is not, no, I give, God gives it back, and then I go and buy everything I want. No, I have experienced in my life, I'm telling you, giving financially and thinking, wow, that hurt a little. (laughs) That wasn't very comfortable. I'm just telling you, it comes back. And I could tell you story after story. I was just talking to my wife the other day. I said, honey, do you realize we gave this and it came back? She's like, wow. And it's the exact, you know, basically the exact same amount. It's like, how does that even happen? But, but here's the faith thing. Here's what, you can do that once or twice or maybe three times. But the faith thing is to keep doing that, right? To like, okay, God, you did it once. And you did it twice. Maybe three times, but I don't know if you can do that a fourth time. But the Bible is pretty consistent. You know, you have, you share, you give generously. And not always, but often God will give it back, but not to spend on yourself, but to continue to give and to be generous with others, to the poor and to the work of the Lord. Third thing I want to say on wealth. 
Wealth is not the most important thing. I know Satan tries to deceive us into thinking that money is the most important thing. But Proverbs will tell you over and over again. You got wisdom? That's better than gold. You have a good name? That's far more important than riches. And besides, money is so easily lost. It's so fleeting. You got it one moment and the next it's gone. When you die, you can't take any of it with you. And it won't help you with judgment. When you stand before God, money and your wealth is not going to help you. Listen to this passage from Proverbs 11.4. It says, Riches do not profit in the day of wrath, but righteousness delivers from death. Tim Keller, a pastor in New York, he says, you know what? Money and riches do not help with Judgment Day questions. Do you know what Judgment Day questions are? Judgment Day questions are like this. What is my life amounting to? What am I really doing with my life? What difference am I making in the world? I guess you could also add one. What, what am I going to do when I stand before a holy God? Am I going to stand in my wealth or the righteousness of Christ? I mean, wealth won't hap- help you with Judgment Day questions because what happens with wealth is you get so f- focused on earning more and spending more, earning more and spending more, and so you're stuck in this consumption cycle. And you're not even thinking about these Judgment Day questions that wrath is coming and how can you flee from that wrath? Your money won't help you answer those questions. But the wise person realizes that money and wealth is not the most important thing. They have it in perspective. So let's sum up here. The teaching of Proverbs, as you study it, you will see that wealth is not treated as bad. It can be very positive. As long as it's in perspective, it has limited value, but it can be used for the good of others. And I just want to tell you here, and you might not believe this, But most of you, you can argue with me later, but most of you are some of the most financially wealthy people in the entire world. We don't need, I don't think we need to argue that point. I mean, we we sent a a mission group to Haiti. I've been to Ethiopia. Many of you have been to different places. I don't think I need to argue that point, right? We're, we're, We're some of the most wealthiest people in the world. And I'm not telling you that to make you feel guilty. Because wealth is not all that bad as long as we have it in perspective and as long as we are good stewards of God's money. But I want to make sure you understand this. Please understand this. Augur is not praying, Dear God, make me a better steward of my money. That's not his prayer. There's nothing wrong with that prayer, but that's not his prayer. His prayer is, I know my heart. I do not want to go out here in riches because if I do, I feel like I may be tempted to deny you. Did did you see it? Look again. Go back to your passage. Look once again in Proverbs 39. He says, lest I be full and deny you and say, who is the Lord? He's afraid. God, please help me. I don't want to go out here because if I get out there, I'm going to be tempted to deny you. And it's often true that many rich people see no need for God. Jesus said something about hard for a rich person to enter the kingdom of heaven. Because riches are often their God. 
Listen to this proverb, 18, 10 through 11. Listen to this. The name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous man runs into it and is safe. A rich man's wealth is his strong city, and like a high wall in his imagination. So follow the passage. The righteous man finds his security in God alone, like the protection of a strong tower. Do you see that? But the rich person assumes that their wealth is like this strong city, and they assume that it offers protection and security against calamity. But it says, like a high wall in his imagination. It's not real. It's a false security. And Augur says, I know that, and I know my heart, that if I run out here to riches, I'm going to be tempted to deny you. And once again, do you know where your heart's relationship is with money? Where is your heart's relationship with riches? If you come out here and you get on this end of the scale, which most of you already live in general, what's, what's, what's your heart? Like, what, what, what are you thinking? What, what do you think when you think about making more money? What's going on in your head? What's going on in your heart? And, and I, I just want to just, just expose myself before you and tell you that it is hard for me to pray Augur's prayer. It's hard to pray, God, no, give me not riches. Give me daily provision. And, and you tell you why it's hard for me to pray? It's not because I want more stuff. It's, it's hard for me to buy anything for myself in general. And that Father's Day is coming up, and I'm, I'm supposed to just technically get something. It's what happens, the way it works. But I can't think of anything I want. It's really a struggle. So maybe you can think of something I should want. But I can't think of anything I want. But I still want wealth. But if I don't want to buy anything, why do I want wealth? And it's this reason. I want that security. I want that security. I want some strong tower I can lean on that feels like a fortified city so I can stand firm. I want to fight that in my heart and say, oh, no, the Lord is my fortified tower. He is my firm city. Where's your heart at? That's riches. But Augur also goes, whoa, 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 whoa. I don't want poverty either. So let's do a, a, a few observations on poverty, okay? Let's do poverty. Observations on poverty. Number one, foolishness usually leads to poverty. Let's look at 14, 23, and 24. And all toil there is profit. The mere talk tends only to poverty. The crown of the wise is their wealth, but the folly of the fools brings folly. For those of you in here who like to talk a lot about all the work you're going to do, and you like to make all these written plans about all the work you're going to do, but you never end up doing the work, enjoy your poverty. That's where you're going. That's often what happens when you get all caught up in foolish schemes. Your profit will be more folly. That's generally the trends. That's what happens in society. If you don't contribute, why should you be paid? I know when you're young, you're like, well, I should be paid just because I'm cool. Or I should be paid because my parents paid me. No, you've got to work. When you work, you get paid. If you don't, enjoy poverty. Second thing, but not all poverty is due to foolishness. But sometimes... Oppression. Sometimes a person can work really hard and be stuck in poverty still due to oppression. 
Proverbs 13, 23. The fallow ground of the poor would yield much food, but it is swept away through injustice. This proverb kind of goes against the wrong assumption that you may have heard all the time and you may think in your heart, well, poor people are just lazy. You ever say that? They're just lazy. Well, occasionally, or a lot of the times, that may be true. But you also think, you know what? It could be through oppression, which you could be taken a part of, but we don't want to get into that right now. But it could just be injustice and oppression, general society oppression, oppression in ways that you don't even know about. But it's not always going back to laziness. And the Bible is very clear of that. And we're not just talking about a poverty. I was, I was wondering, what kind of poverty are we talking about? We're not talking about people eking out a subsistence level income. Blumberg, Craig Blumberg, he says, it's not about eking out a subsistence level income. He says, it's those who are utterly destitute. And poverty and oppression can make someone utterly destitute. And the last thing I want to say on poverty is poverty can lead to personal problems. Poverty can lead to personal problems. Proverbs 18.23 says, The poor use entreaties, but the, in, the rich answer roughly. So a general, uh, general observation in society is that the poor man, when he wants something, or the poor woman, when he wants something, has to humble themselves, go to someone and say, I need something. But the rich person doesn't need to do that. In fact, the rich person can answer the poor person roughly and say, Get out of my face. Or the rich person never has to have that disposition. They never have to ask people for help. So they don't care who they offend because they have all they want. It's a general observation of society. But there's also some other personal problems that can come with wealth, with poverty, actually. Proverbs 19.4 says, Wealth brings many new friends, but a poor man is deserted by his friend. This is the classic observation. I lived in, in Los Angeles. see it all the time. You see rich people. They're always having an entourage that's around them. Hanger honors because they have something to give. But the observation is the poor man, what does he have to give? And if people are seeking things from people by what they can give, the poor man doesn't have an entourage, doesn't, doesn't have a friend. Where are his friends at? Well, he has nothing to give. These are general observations of poverty. And, and Augur sees this, and he knows his heart. And he says, I don't want poverty because if I'm poor, I'm afraid I may steal. And if I steal, I'm afraid I may profane your name. So please keep me from this extreme of poverty because I don't want to live there. I don't want to, you know, blast your name by the way I'm acting. And it's almost hard to talk about poverty within our congregation because I really think that most of us, compared to the rest of the world, is on the extreme of, of wealth. But, it's, but as we find ourselves in seasons where we are lacking, where provision doesn't seem to be coming through, what is your heart's relationship with God? Are you trusting him? Are you turning to your own schemes? What's going on within your heart? You see, Augur knows the extremes of poverty. He knows the extremes of riches. And he knows the temptations that can come with both. And so what he does, he prays the golden mean. Once again, what is the golden mean? Look at it, Proverbs 38. Feed me with the food that is needful for me. So he wants provision. He's saying, look, bring me provision in line with my lot in life. It's basically a prayer that says this, God, you're God. You know me. 
you know exactly what I need and what I don't need. And so whatever I need to stay alive and live, give that to me. But whatever happens, give me you. It's a God sufficiency. And so if, if, if Augur was alive during the New Testament, he would affirm a lot of the teaching in the New Testament. For example, the New Testament says in, in 1 Timothy 6, 8, but if we have food and clothing with these, we will be content. You may say, you've got to be kidding me. Augur would say, amen. Consider also Hebrews 13, 5. Keep your life free from the love of money. And be content with what you have. For he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Can you be content with what you have? And Arger, what would he say? He would say, if I got God, that's all I need. If I have him, that's all I need. I'm content totally with what I have. Arger would agree. You got God, and, he, and that's what he has. He wants this God sufficiency. He wants to move away from self-sufficiency, from this relying upon himself, whether it's riches or totally, you know, denying God and poverty. He wants a God sufficiency and not a self-sufficiency. And for him to avoid the, the extremes, he thinks that's in the golden mean. That God's sufficiency is to God, just give me what I need for today. That's all I need because I got you. Get this. Get this. I think, and I could be wrong at this, and you can tell me I'm wrong. I think that if you get to a point in your life where you had this God sufficiency and not a self sufficiency, I really think the Bible is clear that if you get to that point in your life, I think you can survive out on the extremes as well, whether it's riches or whether it's poverty. If you have a God sufficiency, you can even be pushed out to the extremes and be walking with the Lord. As I was thinking about this, I came across, once again, leaning on my, my, my favorite scholar, Bruce Holka. He says, he says this, it's amazing. He says, God can safely entrust wealth to be used in the service of society to such a wise person. And what he's saying, to say it to you in English, is that God can give wealth to the person who is scared to death of wealth. Boom, here. God can give wealth to the person who understands there are great temptations in wealth, and you need to use it wisely and spend it on others and building up the the mission of God and helping the poor. God can entrust wealth to that person, and that person of God's efficiency who's so scared of wealth, don't be surprised. God can give that person wealth. But what about poverty? How would poverty ever come to anybody? How would you survive poverty? There was once this guy in the New Testament, the Apostle Paul. He talked a lot about living on the extremes. And he says, yep, I can handle poverty. And he explains. In Philippians 4, 11 through 13, he says this. Not that I'm speaking of being in need... For I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Well, Paul is saying he's learned to endure 
in Christ, no matter the extremes. He's out here with abundance. All right, I'm content in Christ and his power. And if I'm impoverished, if I'm living in poverty and I don't have as much, I have nothing, it's okay. I got God. I got Christ. I got his power. I can, I can handle this by his grace. So Paul says, I can live on the extremes. And I can live here. Whatever. I'm just content in Christ and his power and what he chooses to provide. Now, as we talk about preaching Christ in Proverbs... I really think that we can be content with our allotted portion or provision in life because we do have Christ's strength and power. And the Bible tells us, I want to make sure you really track with me on this, the Bible tells us that Jesus went from one extreme of riches all the way to one extreme of poverty so that he could bring you from one extreme of poverty to one extreme of riches. I'm going to say that again. The Bible teaches that Jesus went from one extreme of riches all the way to poverty to bring you from poverty all the way to the extreme of riches. Here's a verse. 2 Corinthians 8, 9. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, he was rich. Yet for your sake, here we go, he became poor, so that you by his poverty, here you are over here, might become rich. So he stepped down from his glory in heaven, all his riches, poverty, took on flesh and died on the cross, a brutal, brutal death. Now, through his death and resurrection, those of us who are in our sin are against the holy God, who are in our poverty and brokenness and need to be saved and reconciled to God. He makes us rich through faith. We put our faith in Christ, and we are speaking spiritually here, we put our faith in Christ, we gain all the riches that we possibly need in Jesus Christ. And the salvation he gives, the forgiveness he gives, the grace he gives, we have all that we need in the riches of Jesus Christ. And as we are believers, and we have all that we need in Jesus Christ, we have an absolute God sufficiency, we have the riches of Christ, then I think we can pray Augur's prayer. We can adopt his disposition. We can pray the Lord's Prayer. We can say, we have it all. We have everything we need in Christ. And we can say, we don't want, you know, Lord, keep us from poverty. Keep us from riches. But if you bring us, bring up that way, it's fine. We have sufficiency in you. But just give us our daily bread, all that is needful in you. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your son, the Lord Jesus Christ, who has taken a step down from his riches in heaven, took on flesh, and died on the cross so that us poor sinners can be saved, can have the righteousness of Christ, have the riches of Jesus. And I just ask, Lord, as we deal in this world with financial things, that we will be content with whatever you choose to bring. Give us this day our daily bread. May we find our God's sufficiency in you and all that you provide through your son, Jesus. In his name we pray, amen.